If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is People Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is Anna O'Keppel. Anna's been a previous guest in episode number 167, and today she's back to talk about the 10 tips to make the most of your riding time. How are you today, Anna? Oh, very well, but very hot, unfortunately. <laughs> I think you people are having a better time than us. <laughs> can be like that a bit, can't it? Yeah. Oh, yes, you're getting rain, we're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anna, tell us a bit about why you chose the topic, the 10 tips to make the most of your riding time. Well, I chose that topic because I think various others too who already have done podcasts, they do all, no matter what actual discipline they do, it is the rider that is the actual influence as far as the horse is concerned. So how the rider sits, how the rider feels, what their responses are, is really what their riding time is all about. Yep, yep. Which is basically why I chose the topic and people do come and they have various angles from which they approach what they're doing. But ultimately, it is about the rider's body, their feel, their position and their understanding. And that's what they basically do come for. Mm, mm. So can we talk a bit more depth then about the rider's position and its effect? Because that's the first tip that you've got. Yep, yep. Yes, well, what I've found is over the teaching time, the main way that a rider is going to develop is to actually ride. If you want to become experienced in anything and confident in anything, then it's that very thing that you need to practice. Same if you want to be very good at wheeling a wheelbarrow, well, you wheel a wheelbarrow, mm. and so on and so forth. And basically, when the riders come, as you've pointed out already too, People don't ride all day and many unvaried horses and so on as they used to. And it's no longer a horse-oriented world in that sense of it. However, so what I find usually is uh, also there is a certain fear element. In the beginning, people are coming back to riding after years while they, when they haven't. Also, they can be new to riding they can be very young and then be fearful about these first experiences with a horse. Older people too suddenly want to have a last hurrah and do some riding later on after being away from it for some time. There are many and varied reasons for people wanting to actually ride. Now one of the things to get people into the frame of mind, the frame of mind I think is very, very important. So after we actually, first of all, get on the horse, because that in itself is, I think, quite a challenge for some people, then I think I usually let them ride around at a walk to get the idea of where they're actually at. Then we generally have a discussion, because actual discussion and interaction with the rider makes a lot of difference. 
even in the beginning, because as a teacher, I've always felt you need to know where the actual person is at. It's all very well for yourself who knows where you need this person to be. But they don't actually see it like that, and every person has a story. I find one of the easiest ways to start people is to give them the image of the centaur. Now, the image of the centaur was created to be one with the horse, to be united. And a lot of people already can understand that idea. They want to be united with the horse and interact with the horse. And the beginning of it is to actually not interfere. Later on, when they have some understanding, etc., it's all a developmental process, then you can actually go on to, of course, influencing the horse. But in the beginning, and in order to get people into that zone, giving them the image of the centaur, I've found, does help a lot because visualisation whether it's internal visualization or external visualization, has a lot of effect on people and is something that everybody can do because they've already visualized themselves on a horse. Then I think it goes on to, I generally go on to, there are two sports which use all the muscles. And those two sports are skiing, where the skier follows terrain and the riding, where the rider actually follows the movement of the horse. That's the difference between them. And then that leads to the third point, which in order to be able to do these things, needs balance. And if this balance doesn't exist, then this balance, the rider, well, the skier falls over. And the rider, unfortunately, they can fall off, but generally, there's the horse between them and the ground, and then they create all sorts of issues in actually trying to stay on the horse through various techniques which often are not as successful and can create problems and issues with the horse. Fear in the horse, resistance in the horse, etc., so then this one leads, for this balance to happen, there actually has to be a lineup, a lineup of the joints. Riders ride with their bones, and you actually, to have a good posture in general, because this goes into all the balance and the lineup needed for riding, can actually be practiced and should be practiced in the rider's general life even driving the car, walking down the street, etc., has a balance. And this balance is exactly the same as it is when you are riding the horse. Now, in the lineup, it's the bones that the rider actually rides with, but it is the suppleness of the joints and the bending of the joints which give the rider the suppleness and the ability to balance on the horse. Now, these bones, if, if the joints are bent and they are supple and they're elastic, they create energy as well. And this encourages the horse to go. Or if they are stiff in the joints, which is often the case, it's in the joints that the riders do tend to get stiff, then it has the opposite effect and the horses will even die away or again not go is a popular one at the moment. Yeah. 
just to do with the being stiff in the joints and the not very supple. What can we do then if someone is stiff and not supple? Have you got an exercise or something they can use there? Yes, throughout this and using more, I was going to develop more of the exercises as we go along because we come to the point of lunging. And these exercises are similar, but a lot of it has to do with feel. And when the rider is initially there, and you again, you're introducing these people to new words. Mm-hmm. They haven't heard of things such as line-up, etc., and this is terminology. Every sport has its own terminology. And to be understood, then riders use these terms to discuss things with each other and also to uh, develop their own understanding and ability to read, etc., because this is how it's referred to. Now, initially, I'm inclined to let them sit there, and then they already start to develop their feel. Mm-hmm. All of this is interactive, because riding is actually feel. Although you've got to have theory, and you can do that with, again, this games approach or a more an enjoyment approach, and to develop a will to learn, because it's the people who are able to learn, it's developing that ability which I think gets people interested. Also thinking. Thinking, I think, is very important with these things. And then in general discussion, while they're standing still and getting over that process you use to get over that initial fear, I usually let them walk and walk around with them initially to see that they are safe and that they can walk on a horse and then give them some discussion, and they will already start to feel where their joints are, what the horse feels like underneath them, and generally ask them questions, so that as well as getting the physical body active, you already have the mental aspects happening, because the body itself is a mind. Every cell in the body does have a mind of its own, and therefore... It's amazing. Touch is also an issue with it. But if you have, it's the same with a horse. If you're in connection with the rider, and then during the talk I've found that body already takes a lot of the discussion on board. And you can feel the rider, start to feel where the horse is. I always question them as well and say, and what do you feel? Do you feel straight? Do you feel level? What does the horse's back feel like? Sometimes they don't even know the points of the horse, so you're already discussing theory with them. The horse's back, the shoulders, keeping it simple in the beginning, and then that gradually develops. Everything is a developmental thing. And when they're answering those questions too, they start to relax, and then gradually they can take over and try to do the same thing at a walk. Etc. And then the first sessions generally I have is an assessment session and there are those who are very beginner and then others who can go on and they walk, trot and canter quite well the very first time. This takes on board too. I've done a lot of work with the Alexander Technique, which is body work, Mm -hmm. and brain gym and combine the two. Brain gym is more active. The Alexander work is a quieter work. But their basis is exactly the same. It works through the balance and the carriage of the body, no matter what you're doing. 
which becomes a natural posture. And I know that people use all sorts of things. They have those balls that you can sit on, mechanical horses, etc. And I'm sure they all have a place and they can have a purpose and they can be a lot of fun too. But I've found that really, as you mentioned too, uh, the riders generally now have this one hour or something like that mm, mm. to do their riding. And during that time, I've found to ride the horse yes. is really the best thing to do and use every precious minute to do that. I also discuss with them or work with them to develop right from the time they're standing, which is why I spend a bit of time there. From a horseman's point of view, it also gives you a point to start the horsemanship aspects of things because it's not good to sit on a horse standing still. They lock their backs. It's not good for their joints. And even the old stockman, I learned that from the stockman. They just straight away got off a horse. You never sat on a horse standing still. You kept it moving or you got off. And then I can lead on from there. Well, we can discuss, we can answer questions. Uh, standing still, let's try to walk if it's a very beginner person, or even if it's not. And then they can ask again any initial questions. You can ask them questions. You can ask them, you know, what do you see over there? You can start with, they can tell you there's trees here, etc. So that they're already developing their awareness and they're developing peripheral vision where their eyes should go, etc. And they're not locked into that looking down, clutching, which is often what happens to people who are a bit nervous or haven't yet found the balance in their position. And those questions and that interaction, they enjoy it. Yep, yep. Because it involves them. It's you, the horse, and them. Yep. And then you've already got an interaction and an involvement And it gives them time, time to do simple things well, which is basically really what it's all about, right to the very top. Mm, mm. It also gives them calmness and an ease, and it relieves the fear factor. Okay. I think that's important, isn't it, you know, removing that fear factor? Yeah, because that seems to be a natural. Even very experienced people I've had and competitors can be, quite fearful, Mm. very strong. They can be strong riders, but it is very interesting. They are still worried about the horse doing this or the horse doing that. Yep. And then you get to the reaction level. And unfortunately, it's always the horse that gets the blame. It's just the way it is. Yes. And if they, I think it's leading to the fact to do something calmly, and easily, mm-hmm. and then you do it well. It doesn't necessarily equate with winning, and I think that can be a difficulty with riders at that level and with that involvement, but the same thing again. They are fearful, and understandably so sometimes, with horses rearing, horses bucking. Nobody wants to have a bad fall. Then the other thing, right from the beginning, is to look where you're going. Because yes. that also, it's a difficult one. The inclination is always to look down. That's an interesting one because it's quite difficult for people. The extremities seem to be the most difficult parts of the rider's body to address. And that one of looking up and ahead, uh, that also puts you on the seat bones. 
and actually brings the body into balance, and then that allows the legs to drop down from the hips, which is something you want to initiate naturally from the beginning. And from that drop from the hips, the heels will naturally come down instead of being forced down. Because I think there is a difference between forcing a position or a horse and allowing a Definitely, yes, yes, definitely. And it's those subtleties in the end which make all the difference. So even in the beginning, and we had it, even in the days when I was with Franz Meiringer, he would always say they didn't have names for it and isolations as we have now, but they knew these things, and it was always you had to look where the trees meet the sky. And it's only now I understand, you know, what he was Mm, really mm. teaching. Yes. And I found, too, with children, if you get people right from the beginning, you can get them, again, it involves they talk to you. Okay, what do you see directly in front of you? And you start off with one thing, and it's all developmental. Then can you tell me three things you see in front of you? Yes, I can see a dog running. Oh, and there's (laughs) a tree over there. Yep. And usually in the beginning... The riders will see things close up. They'll only, oh, there's a rail just to the right of me. But then as they get easier and more relaxed, they start to see further into the distance, and then you as the trainer, you can encourage it. In the beginning, or with a particularly fearful person, they can tell, you know, you ask for one thing. A lot of it is, I think, the trainer's connection with the person they're teaching. And even the, you know, the very young ones, the three-year-olds, they ride without the stirrups automatically. And they, you, it's a game, you know. There's a tree over there. Their level of language you have to take into consideration. But they think it's great fun. They, you know, there's a tree over there. And <laughs> look, there's a, there's a bird. Yes. They'll come at yes. you, you know, like that. Sometimes they pick up things that you haven't even looked, found yourself. I know. Yes, <laughs> yes. They do, and you think. You're right, there he is. So that game and enjoyment aspect is part of the actual process, I think. And you can, of course, invent games of your own as well, specific games that people can be involved with. Then um, what have I got down there? I think you're going to talk about touch and educating muscle memory. Yes, because it's the same with driving. That's a bit of a standing joke with them here. You know, just make sure I'm not on the road when you arrive (laughs) Uh, because it's an analogy. It applies, Mm. and they can understand those sort of things as well. Then, yes, there's that um, the use of touch to educate and re-educate the muscle memory, and that's, again, something that is very useful with discussion and talk at the same time. If you have the person standing there or if they're walking along and you walk with them, for instance, if they're stiff in the knee or they're very tight in the hip, it's quite easy then to just put a hand on their body because that is what they also do in body work. It is to do with touch as well, particularly the Alexander technique. And that touch, you can feel the changes happen and you can help them with the changes. Also, you do the same thing with the horses. It does help the muscle memory. If the horse is an unspoiled horse, then you can feel and educate him to a light touch to move on and so on. And with the horse, the usually the ruined horses or spoiled horses, 
are very tight in their muscles. And with that touch and also sometimes a bit of a massaging effect more than actual massage, it will release the muscle and start to give the horse a longer muscle, a more relaxed muscle, which can then absorb some of the new memory that you want to instill. But that is the problem with the horses with re-education, is that you've got the job of undoing the past. Yes. And then it takes longer and it takes a lot of patience. You've got to be able to keep going back to walk or back to whatever, mm -hmm. restarting and then going on with a more relaxed animal. Or in the same with the rider, if they have certain issues. And I've had people, people with bad falls or who've had a bad experience, a horse taking off with them. They can have quite a bit of difficulty if the horse suddenly goes, faster even at the walk. They start to go into a panic. They start to, the old pattern comes back to either grab the horse or whatever. And then again, it's a matter of coming back to the walk, coming back to their relaxation and starting again. And that can actually be a bit difficult because their great thing is, um, I've had two lately who's had, who came for a few sessions because horses had bolted with them mm -hmm. and they wanted to canter. That very first lesson, you were to create the miracle because to them, mentally, that's the way they could overcome their fear and talking to other people and people always want to help and I'm sure they have the best intentions and I've often found they don't find in the beginning, it's not very easy for them to just walk because they've come with the purpose and or if it's children with the parents, oh, she's had a fright. The horse was, she rode down to the paddock and it bolted. And then she fell off, da-da-da-da-da. So we just want you to, and they often feel too that you can do it in one session, which is not really possible. So with those people, it takes sometimes a bit of discussion that people also understand that just walking is not a failure because that is uh, the mental aspect. It's still progress, isn't it? Yeah, if their horse is enormous, yeah. and I yeah. don't even—I'm writing the Bible because mm -hmm. wordage is unbelievable. Yep, and the effect it has. So there's no such thing as failure, and I believe that there's just success, plus mm -hmm. various degrees of success, and in the end, you just say, "Well, that didn't work at all." So therefore, once you said that didn't work at all. The mind, I've found, generally then, and although the modern person in Western society, you have to teach them then, well, that didn't work at all. And instead of looking around helplessly or going into your fear panic zone and thinking, this is dreadful, I'm dreadful, I'm no good, the mind should immediately kick into, that didn't work, especially if you're riding. You've got about a quarter of a second if a horse is bolting or you're about to hit a wall. And you've got to respond. You've got to do something. And once the brain freezes, you can't. So you should instantly then, didn't work at all. I was going to halt at X. I mean, I had a retrain recently. There was no such thing as halt. We do now, but it didn't halt. It just didn't halt. Yep. So, okay, that didn't work at all. So being unexperienced, and I thought, right, well, we'll do it on a turn. We will find where this horse and start to understand halt or stop in those 
At that stage, I'd call it a stomp. And that's what the writer has to do. Okay, and I discuss that with, again, the question being, okay, you didn't halt. You can see in their body language, um, this isn't working, I'm starting to panic, I'm no good. I say, okay, now, just tell me, what do you think you could try? And I say, it doesn't matter if it takes you a whole arena. I think you've got to get them to understand that in the beginning. What can you try? And I ask them. And then they might say, this, sometimes I give you the weirdest answers <laughs> because they just it is, it's an experience. And yeah, think, yeah. yeah, and you have to say, yeah, that's an idea, but da-da-da, try that. Even if I know it's probably not going to work, and now and then it surprisingly does anyway. And I said, well, try that. And then I say, did it work? Well, the horse might even throw down a bit. Uh, no, I didn't stop. Ah, uh, all right, you didn't stop, but what did happen? And then if they're really stuck, I say, did it go a bit slower? But they often say, you try to lead them to say, well, he went slower, but mm, he didn't mm. stop. Okay. And then I say, well, that's a start. He went slower. Okay. What else might you add to that? So in the beginning, and that um, they really well and truly use their hour because you are tired at the end of it, but you're supposed to be because you've been physically at it, mentally at it, and at that level too, there's quite a bit of emotion involved. Later on, you develop the emotion into feeling is really what you want. But um, So that sort of, that happens as well. Then it is very useful to lunge the rider because then you're in charge of the horse to a degree, to a large degree with beginners or those with real balance problems or a lot of fear. And they can also, again, naturally find their own balance find their own seat and have no range because that to humans is a huge thing. Yes. People think of the horse from in front instead of from behind and they feel insecure because we stood up, we used to walk on all fours, so we were secure then because we had them all on the ground. But now we stood up, we've got to do something with our hands and uh, that is an issue, I think, in riding because mm. you hang on. Yep. And what do you hang on to? The horse's front. Yep. The horse needs his neck to balance and feel secure himself because if he's restricted, and you see it a fair bit now with the pressures of riding at the moment, then he starts to panic. And in his panic, he'll do things like buck, rear, run away, and all those issues. And then, of course, the rider hangs on more, and uh, a strong rider can possibly get away with that. But again, the problem becomes exacerbated, and the fear factor comes back in. And then uh, there's a, quite a wide variety of exercises. You can start off with just getting them to hold the saddle cross in front of the saddle, which already gives them the idea you keep your hands down. Once you lift your hands, your center is gone, and then you are more likely to come apart. With very experienced people, the hand can be used here, there, or anywhere, but these are very experienced, very well-balanced, good riders, which takes a bit of time to actually achieve. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, it's hands down, hands down, hands <laughs> down, yes. and together. Together is really good. Yep. Once they get wide again, your point of balance is gone. I think Sylvia Locke puts it very well. It's like... Threading the eye of a needle, and that's what riding with one hand was all about. 
and you can get them that exercise. If they're very timid, just put your hands there, then uh, they can hold the saddle cloth. I don't like them to hold the saddle because it gets the hands underneath them. But the saddle cloth is already a step forward in getting the hands forward, Mm -hmm. and later, as they become confident and secure, well, touch the horse's left ear, you know, halfway up his mane. You can teach the releases in basic jumping. You don't yep. need to be yep. using rails on the ground. Uh, even George Morris said that. I can teach you everything you need to know about the show jumping over one rail, but people generally don't want to do that. But I can understand where he's coming from. And then you can give them a tennis ball, and they can start to throw that from side to side, I find, is best first of all, because the hands are down and it's easy. Then they can stay as they get some security in the position and the ability to move the arms without actually hanging on to something, finding their seat and balance, they can start to throw the ball up and down. That also starts to activate the eyes because the eyes follow the ball up and down which, again, then they can use their vision, their peripheral vision as well. And in the end, if they're very... You can juggle as they advance. Some are going to have that ability more than others do. But, again, even just simply being able to throw the ball up and you could say left hand, right hand, you try to equate the two Mm. because what you're trying to develop in both the horse and the rider is straightness and the levelness of the body. And, and when you say juggle, are you teaching juggle on the ground or while they're riding they start to learn juggle? Oh, they can do it while they're on a horse. Okay, yep. I had one child who was really, she did it anyway. She was a natural and yep. she did it on the ground. Mm. And I do let them, I say, you know, it's all developmental. No, we don't yes. do it the first lesson. You yep. start off with the simple thing and the horse has to get used to it too. Otherwise, sure, you can have sure. a panic situation. And my, the more advanced riders, they sit on the horses and they do train them that they are not worried about someone moving. Lunging horses do have to be trained. You can't just lunge on a horse that's never done it before. So, Anna, I know that you like to do a lot of talking and singing within the lessons to release the TMJ. Can you just talk about the TMJ what TMJ stands for and how that can help people with their riding. Yes, the TMJ is the temporomandibular joint, which is the jaw, where the jaw actually joins the skull. And clenching the teeth, a lot of tensions come out through riders' shoulders and through the neck, through clenching the teeth, because that naturally happens when people are concentrated and also through the t- general tensions of fear, etc. And talking, interaction, not over-talking, that helps. And also singing. We used to have to sing. Baba Black Sheep, we had mm-hmm. to sing. I'm not sure how that would go down these days. But again, you can have fun with that. Red Sheep, Blue Sheep. Or get them to choose a song of their own so that they can do that while they're riding. And it is amazing how it has a relaxation effect of easing the tension in those areas. It's that shoulder-neck tension. In the end, if it's severe, it can give you a headache, etc. And that area uh, in the lower back between the hips, that takes up the tension from the legs, etc. And also it's um, an enjoyable way of doing things. 
And then with the singing as well, you can do it with the reins in one hand, arm hanging down, and you keep switching sides if you're doing that exercise, keeping the rider relaxed in that as well. Because that levelling of the body, and everybody's asymmetrical, the horse is, and you are. Some people very little. Other people have a huge asymmetry. I've got one of those at the moment. And it's quite fascinating. They're almost unable. This particular one could not change over from her rein, uh, rein in one hand and whip in the other so that it was mobile and she couldn't change over. It was quite interesting. She'd have to come to a standstill to actually even make that change. But she had a huge difference in the body. And this also affects people's health and the horse's health. If they're left crooked, then there's imbalance in the body and that's when the arthritis, etc., starts to set in. So that balancing the body right and left is actually a therapy and a health issue as well as an actual riding skill. Yep. And it is the only way to get the asymmetries as straight as possible because it's highly doubtful anybody or any horse will ever be totally, absolutely straight. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you need that to be level in your own feet, to walk level, and for a horse to have each of the four legs equally weighted, which means he can carry a rider's body much more effectively and with much less strain. So, yeah, it's uh, an interesting way of doing things, but that relaxation, I think, is crucial to being able to focus, to being able to breathe well and easily, and ultimately to relax the tensions in that shoulder-neck area where they can be very wearing. And what about developing the feel? You talked a little bit about that. Have you got an exercise to help develop feel or just to start develop feel? Yes, yes. You do that right from the beginning because um, I straight away tell riders that riding, good riding or riding of any kind is about feel. Uh, theory, all those elements, of course, are part of actually understanding and learning this thing, but it is about feel. And straight away, you can uh, start to develop that while they're walking. All right, what do you feel? And, you know, you guide them if necessary, but do you want the answer? The horse, well, the basic one, the horse is moving if you get a seriously person who's just sitting there saying nothing. Yep. Uh, the horse is moving. All right. Now, what do you feel he is moving? Is he moving his back? Is he moving his shoulders? Concentrate, first of all, on that the horse's back is actually moving. That's the part of the horse that's carrying you. All right. Now, again, as I said prior statement, riders are aware of what's in front of them because the human is built like that. All right. Now, his shoulders. Can you feel his shoulders? Sometimes with very beginners, even I've had a couple of more experienced ones who didn't even know, had one just now. I've put her Mm -hmm. on the Pony Club book and been riding, and she had no idea where the shoulders were, which you get a bit amazed sometimes, but that's just the way it is. Okay, now, uh, how are the shoulders moving? And it's amazing how if, and I get them to close their eyes as well if um, the horses, A, are reliable that they're on, and B, if they're not quite as reliable, I can always walk with them. And when the eyes are closed, it's great for balance, 
uh, balances the body very well. And also, when you close the eyes, you really can feel, feel your own body, and it increases the feel a lot more because of no distraction. And it's quite surprising how they can tell you the shoulders are moving as long as they know where they are. <laughs> and then you can guide them quite early into which shoulder, is it left or right, which becomes part of the uh, rising on the correct diagonals process later. Yep. Then you can already, even in the same session, say, okay, we've done the front end. Do we know how horses operate? They operate from the hindquarters. They're built like Volkswagens. Right. And they can, and it is quite, you know, you already encourage, feel the hind legs. And some, some can't tell you uh, which hind legs, but they can feel that. Uh, then I encourage, you know, can you feel which side is coming forward under you? Yes. Most of them can. It's quite surprising. And this is what a horse operates from, so that in due course, they can put more focus on feeling from the back legs. And then the same, you can have them on the lounge or run with them. Or if the horse is good, which the schoolmasters are, they just click them up into a slow trot. And uh, how does the trot feel? Oh, it's bouncier. And then lead them into the how many legs does a horse have? What sort of beat can you feel? Because it is about beat. The mm. walk has mm. a beat. The yes. trot has a beat. The canter has a beat, and they're all different. And it's you know, and I teach a lot in rhyme because ex-school teacher, kindergarten, and that's <laughs> quite a bit of fun, you know. Mm, Feel the mm. beat of his feet. Now. Yep. What yep. does it tell you? If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. And keeping it interactive like that and lively and a bit of fun, it is surprising yep. to feel guided what a person can do. Canter, no. Canter comes a lot later on because in Australia, it's very strange, but mention the word canter. I even teach, when I'm teaching them, I say, now this the dreaded C word. <laughs> People really worry about the cantering. Yes. Which is interesting because... I think it's because walk and trot, everybody learns very quickly, fairly easily. They start to get control. Then in canter, because again, the horse has to push off from one leg. As I say to them, it's like you standing on one leg with someone on your back. Now, if they sit perfectly still and put, get the, the aids correct, you can do it. Yep. If yep. you start to wobble about, he's only got one leg and he can't do it. So he'll either run off, da-da-da-da-da, and we cover those scenarios. But it's quite interesting how introducing canter, and when people come here to have their issues solved, this cantering is one of the big ones. So in the beginning, I do let them go a little bit more for, you know, you can, as I say to them, you've got to be able to feel the canter in the trot just as in the walk, because the modern rider creeps around. They think this is this cute obedience, but this, it's not the case. You've got to have energy. Energy is the thing you work with with horses. That's all you've got. And if you haven't got the energy in there, and you, in the way you use your body, you're already creating the energy in the horse. Now, if you can't feel in the walk, that you've got that energy and that purpose, uh, to, the trot is already there in your walk. And I 
talk to them about that, and they can. They yeah. can feel it. Oh, we're back to plotting because <laughs> I've got three re-schools and all of them had been deadened because they call it desensitisation, which I don't agree with at all. You don't want to be desensitised. I don't want a desensitised horse. If the tree branch is falling, I want him to hear it and go because I'd rather not be dead. Yeah. And what I do agree with is familiarisation, which is repetition, creating situations of gradual development that demand more from the horse's reactive problems and stuff like that. And I totally agree with that. You've got to take time, take him into new areas and invent stuff. Put a couple of rails in the arena, ride over, put a bag on those rails so that next day when he comes out, there's this bag, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you be creative and then t- take him here, yeah, take him there, yeah. you know, stuff like that. That I totally agree with. And it must, that is uh, preparation, preparation, preparation until gradually over time you have a horse that becomes an educated horse. Yeah. And it is, you know, it is quite remarkable when you come at it like that. Again, that could take two or three sessions to really start by the time they have enough confidence to really start to go for it because then you've got to, they give you a little bit. Mm. Now, can you feel the, then you need honest answers and I'd have, you know, you can be honest, you can tell me anything you like. (laughs) It's not a dreadful thing. If you get silly with it, well, yes, I'm going to say, oh, that's just a silly, you know, try again, dear. But they can. I said, now you tell me, when you can feel that trot, tell me. And then I say, and go, and go right now because you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that way it's the same for the cantering. Now, prepare the trot, and then the running trot, they soon find that'll fail because the trained horse will do this running extended trot. But to get up that energy, get up that energy, keep your balance, and now. And it is a bit more complicated because the rider has to be fairly effective with their aids. And they have to be supple with their aids. And often in that cantering piece, that's when they clutch. That's when they freeze up. So you've got a fair bit of stuff to work with. But once the penny drops, they find it, you know, it's easy and uh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the tips that you've given today to make for most of the riding time, I think that, you know, those tips people can listen to at once and then say, oh, I think I might have missed something there and go back and listen again and maybe go out and, you know, a couple of weeks later can come back and do it again. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's been really good. Yeah. So, Anna, thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time today. I think, um, yeah, very good. And I think, as as usual, lots and lots of information. And um, I think people can really, you know, really got to get a lot out of that and make the most of their riding time and give them lots to think about and also too for coaches you know to give them lots yeah, to um think to think about to train their students so thanks yeah, for talking to you, us today and get hopefully we'll... from everyone it's a yep. pleasure glennis to okay. um to discuss with you again and thank you very much thank you bye-bye thanks bye if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.